Welcome to the Minimalist CEO Podcast with Nate Lindquist. Nate created the Minimalist CEO Method to help business owners redefine and grow their businesses by finding new demand in places they never thought to look where there's no competition. By following his opposite thinking strategy, Nate's coaching clients have grown their business up to 40% in just two months and created tens of millions of dollars in revenue. Nate himself has launched more than 140 businesses. On the show, Nate interviews successful business owners and experts who share the secrets you can use to have a better business and a better life. Hey everyone, Nate Lindquist here with the Minimalist CEO Podcast, and I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. I could go down the list of everything she's accomplished so far and where her life has brought her, but I'm going to let her go down that list. You might have heard a little bit of an intro already, but uh, Whitney Hill is the co-founder and head of business operations for Snap ADU, and I'm going to let you, Whitney, welcome to the show. I'm going to let you explain what that means, Snap ADU, and uh, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Nate. Sure. So SNAP ADU, ADU stands for Accessory Dwelling Units or Granny Flats. It's a hot topic in California real estate and several other areas of the country as we are addressing the housing shortage. State legislation passed in the last year or two has made it considerably easier to build ADUs, which is why uh, my partner and I have decided to focus exclusively in this space. SNAP ADU is a design build contractor and we only build ADUs. So we understand the regulations, the construction timelines, the permitting process, such that we can offer clients a better experience. I got into this um, space by way of corporate America. <laughs> I did my tour of duty for about 10 years straight out of school, having the career I was supposed to. <laughs> uh, did operations management for a supply, uh, industrial supply company and followed that by five years in management consulting at Bain & Company before uh, leaving that world about four or five years ago to start in the real estate space. I had been intrigued by it for a while and uh, left to do some small multifamily investments, ended up um, doing some high-end flips on the East Coast when I encountered a partner who's a good fit. So was actually doing a lot of that remotely when I moved to San Diego. And so got interested in the ADU space when I heard about that regulation and thought that my skills that I developed over the last few years in real estate, um, residential real estate could apply there too. So happened to overhear the right conversation at the right time in a coffee shop. That person that I ended up approaching introduced me to my business partner, Mike Moore. He had been a contractor for about seven years running a mom and pop sort of operation, was also excited about ADUs. So we met up the day the pandemic started, <laughs> Friday the 13th of uh, last year. And from there, Snap ADU uh, got off into uh, kind of the pilot phase where we started experimenting with just hyper focus on accessory dwelling units. And uh, from there, we've beaten our sales targets you know, every month. And now we're on track for 10 million of ADUs in the next 12 months. Wow. So you really haven't been all that busy. <laughs> no, it's been, uh, it's been a cakewalk, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you just covered a lot. The first thing that comes to mind, it seems like in your background, you're very, you got a very organized mind. You've uh, learned about organizational strategy, how to simplify systems and processes. Could I maybe even dub you an, an honorary minimalist CEO-ish kind of person? Would that be possible? I would love to be dubbed that. That would be the goal. I think that you know, streamlining and specialization is something that Snap ADU has really decided is going to be what sets us apart. Um, and at times, my you know, Mike has had to be the bearer of that torch, and other times I am. So I think it has been that ruthless focus on knowing exactly what we're delivering and to what audience, where you're turning away big contracts that are hard to turn away um, simply because you want to serve your target audience well. So 
I appreciate that moniker. <laughs> no, that's cool. You're focused on simplicity and really understanding what's essential is definitely the core of what our podcast and our business is all about. So perfect. This, this couldn't have gone down a better path. It's super cool what you're doing. I have to say ADU. So could you expand on that a little bit? What, what is an accessory dwelling unit? What is that? Happy to. Um, it's a second structure on a lot that already has a primary unit, and it can be up to 1,200 square feet, can be as small as, you know, just a small studio of a couple hundred square feet. And it typically will be for either intergen- intergenerational living, where they're having, you know, an aging relative or perhaps a, you know, college age student living there. Um, or folks are building them to rent out for additional rental income. And what's super cool about these then is that a lot of times these are being built in extremely affluent neighborhoods, especially where our market is. A lot of it's coastal North County, San Diego. So these are neighborhoods that would have priced out families from ever accessing. And so what, what's neat about this is it puts another dwelling unit into this space that would rent out at a level that is attainable for a young family, right? For uh, folks who just want to access the school system, folks who want to access the community. So we like that, you know, it's addressing that. It's addressing um, the need to keep family members close and kind of this new world we live in. Um, mm-hmm. It's a flexible model that can work with families as their needs change. Maybe they live in it, uh, have a family member in it for a while, and then maybe they rent it out at another point. Or Airbnb. You can do that too. There are rental minimums on ADUs, 30 days or longer, but absolutely people will build them for that reason. No, that's brilliant. It's such a, a niche marketplace, but your commitment to focusing and also saying no is so central, I think, to most business success. So for you to be out there doing it, you're you're about to hit $10 million and I'm sure you're going to go way beyond that. You also seem really inspired by what you're doing. And I would just like to ask, so if, you know, I think everyone has a calling and that what I've seen with business owners, there's sort of that internal game of, I love what I'm doing and the external game of people love what I'm doing. And when you bring those things together, it's like you get this great hungry buyer, hungry creator, and this the business starts to boom. How did you find the formula? Not just because you're good at it, because obviously you're good at what you're doing and you're, I'm sure, getting better. How did you get that formula to click? How did you find the the power and the enthusiasm that you obviously have for what you're doing. Sure. Um, I, you know, it's a bit of a snowball effect where I think once we started to click on, okay, here's the concept, you know, Mike and I were on board. It was finding the couple of, you know, key employees and integrating the employees that Mike already had in his contracting business, getting them on board with that vision too. Because suddenly when you get these different perspectives that are all excited about the same concept, but coming at it from different angles, that just feeds on itself where, you know, now we have our head of sales is extremely versed in a small business. And he, he used to own his own. Now he kind of like ready to do sales for someone else. He brings a huge perspective to the table. Um, we have someone else on the team who has worked for big production builders. She brings that perspective to the table. So everybody's jazzed about it for kind of their piece of it. And that builds up to something that's greater than the sum of the parts really. So I think as we've kind of brought uh, the key team members um, into the room, it's helped us refine who we are and it's, it's being open a constant evolution of that as well. So, you know, our operation looks so different than it did even six months ago. And we joke that we, <laughs> that it's it's three weeks is a long time to have the same like protocols in place because when you're at this stage, needing to adapt to um, incorporate the new information, the new learnings that you have, right? So the entire cycle for building an ADU from the time somebody says go on their contract to the time we actually get them moved into the door, typically nine months. So we're really only just now seeing some of these all the way through that pipeline. So we've got about 35 active projects 
projects right now, I would say 10 are in construction. Um, so we're constantly feeding that information back like a flywheel so that we're getting better at the entire process with each new job that we do. So that means that the whole team is bought into this mentality of constant improvement. So I think that's a huge secret and it's, in, it's invigorating too, because everybody's not just like wrote through their tasks, right? We're constantly trying to make them better. That's fantastic. And the thing that jumps to mind too, also, and maybe you could expand on this idea a little bit. There's a lot of people that build homes. There's a, obviously there's a, a pretty serious demand for construction across the country, especially in certain areas. How do you differentiate yourselves? I know, first of all, hearing ADU is a unique terminology, certainly new to me. And, you know, um, I've been in the flipping business and real estate business for a long time. I believe you open the front door with the service business and you close the back door with great real estate and investments. So, but I would like to know, how do you differentiate yourselves? How do you, how did you tap into, this is what I refer to, you might call it like blue ocean. How do you tap into that new demand where you're not in an industry anymore where people say, let me be, you know, you're my order taker. Let me tell you what I want. You say, this is a package would you like it? And you don't have to accept the order. I mean, people can build an addition. People can put in a small apartment. People can put all these things together as contractors. That's a big question, but whatever direction you want, how did you make it your own and tap into that without being blended or confused with the construction industry or the home builder industry? Sure. And I would say that's even, you know, there's other layer of complexity where there's prefabricated options that people pursue with ADUs and manufactured homes. So we're competing with a lot of people in this space. So how does Snap ADU differentiate itself? I think one, again, that transparency I mentioned, we put as much as we can online for the general public to just serve as an information source for folks. So we see our job as really educating the public, whether or not they're going to go with Snap ADU. I want them to get the best answer they can. So a lot of our job is just connecting people with information and perhaps the right sub contractor who can help them. So I think what differentiates us too is that hyper-focus that we're not trying to serve those additions anymore. We're not trying to do the garage conversions. Like those are great projects for somebody who wants to do them. It's, it's just not a good fit for us. So I think that's that's a big differentiator. Um, second is I would say our openness to tech and partnering is a huge uh, differentiator for us. And this is something that clients don't really understand until they start working with us, where we constantly are talking to new providers in this space so that we're looking at construction techniques that can keep our costs down. We're partnering with vendors to have the best um, fixture packages at a compelling price point so that we make all that available to our end user, doing all that legwork for them. I think a lot of the general contracting market, because it is so fragmented, is a lot of smaller operations who don't offer that kind of streamlined experience, that shopping cart experience, like you said, where you're taking it to um, kind of a product instead of a service. So we're trying to front load as much of those decisions and processes as we can so it's transparent for the homeowner. It's not like it's any fewer decisions to just not deal with that up front when you're talking about your ADU. It's the same number of decisions. It just means that you're you're faced with that in the beginning. And sometimes that's a hurdle for us. In the sales process, it's a lot to cover with somebody to say, hey, you're in this jurisdiction. That means you're going to need a soils report or you might need a survey and like go into all that detail that a lot of subcontractors would either, or contractors, I should say, might decide to gloss over, might not actually know because they don't do enough ADUs. So also our throughput just in this space, we only do ADUs, which means we just have more at-bats. So we know exactly what they're going to require by the time we get to the permitting counter to get these through. Yeah, that's it's staying in your lane. Get in line, stay in line. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's interesting. And, and I think the idea too, that it seems like you have a very clear picture of what you don't do. 
And when someone starts saying, oh, so you do this, you probably have that happen a lot where you have to say, no, that, let me go watch this video clip, go read this document, go to this page on the site and get educated. That's exactly it. And I think hitting that level, like you mentioned, of, of making a point and click where we're getting ourselves out of the front line so that more of it is repeatable, that we have the video, we have the blog on it. So that's kind of this next phase of growth where we're trying to automate a lot of the stuff that we've you know, been doing manually as one-offs, as phone calls, as um, we're figuring a lot of this out. So like you're saying, kind of making all of that institutional knowledge, making it available to the public is kind of that next hurdle. Yeah, it's what I find with clients is this, it's help, more helpful for us to help a client make a decision than it is to help them work with us. You know, in my, my mentoring and coaching business, Inspire and the Minimal CEO program, a lot of times we'll have a great conversation. We'll point them to some information and we'll help them go someplace else that's or move down a different path based on what they're learning and by asking, you know, we're getting better and better at asking the questions to find out, is this in fact the path that's going to get them where they want? And I think that's pretty rare, you know, to help people make a decision versus trying to make a sale. Yes. That's such a good way to put it. Um, and then feeling confident that we've got the right network in place to, to put them in contact with the person who can help them with the next step if it's not us. Um, so that's been a big part of what we're building too. So a service partner is like a partner program. Yes. Although I'll say at this point, we've kind of just been going with uh, with karma points. You know, we've been really just trying to connect the right people. We figure it's going to come back to us as, you know, other contractors who we send referrals to um, will think of us, you know. So at this point, program is kind of a strong word. <laughs> I would say we're more focused on getting the client in touch with the right person versus any particular program at this point. Yeah. Well, you got momentum and momentum makes that, I think you do it right. If that's your culture, there's a lot of integrity and in just saying, I would refer my, the best possible lead that we've gotten or my best possible client to this company, this person, because we trust them. And, exactly. and that creates trust. So I love that. Well, clearly I'm not following exactly what questions you might've expected me to follow, but that's okay. <laughs> Are there some key points that you would share about how you and your business partner were able to jumpstart your business from one and a half to $10 million to be on that trajectory? Yes. Um, systems, the number one thing. So anytime that we find ourselves doing the same thing more than a handful of times, it needs to be uh, put into a, a specific process flow and handed off to someone else. And that goes for me, that goes for the people who work for me to the point where we're pushing towards getting all the repetitive tasks outsourced to another provider. In our case, it happens to be a back office that's supported by a team in Ukraine that we found through Upwork. So once we start repeating these tasks enough that you can record yourself doing it, we're getting it off of our plates. And it's mm. it's easy to like fall into this quagmire of like, oh, it's just this little thing. I can do this. I can do that. But the switching costs of like continuing to do all those small admin things just really adds up to where when you take those off your plate, it gives back more time than you even would have allocated for it. So that's a big one. There's building all those systems. And then the other one I would say is growing the right tools alongside your business. So when we started growing this business really last summer, we built the infrastructure for a much larger company. You know, at that time we really were only, you know, Mike's biggest year ever had been one and a half million dollars of sales. So that was probably eight jobs. 
So that's where we were, but we were building the infrastructure to serve hundreds of clients. Mm. Um, because if you're going to do it right, it kind of is going to look the same, whether you're building, you know, 10 or, or 200. So we invested heavily in that in the beginning. Um, we use a project management system called Builder Trend, which helps us not only internally, but give that information to the client too, which circles back to my point on transparency. So by adopting this tech, it's made this the whole process uh, more streamlined, more transparent, more predictable. And so, you know, lastly, this, this then leads to the standardization that we were talking about. So by then having these systems, having the tech in place, we're now just putting something into the start of a machine, really. <laughs> and mm. none of us can do anything to stop it. You know, people are working their own to-dos along the way. Vendors are hopping in when they're triggered. But at the end of the day, it's no one person who has to sit there and babysit this. It's, get, it's going through stage gates. It's going through checklists so that we're operating, we're handling each one the same way. And we're only getting a human, a team member involved when we really really need to have some sort of critical thought come into play. Maybe it's a client issue that needs to be resolved. Maybe it's um, you know, a more nuanced thing with the supply issue where we can't, where we're stocked out, right? But we're not getting in the way of ourselves. <laughs> it's kind of just allowing the automated stuff to happen. Did you get to that point by learning how to do it in a rote way? Or did you actually go out and screw it up and then come back and say, I'm going to do it right this time? Because that's, that's I, the number of businesses I talk to that I've seen businesses and I've worked with businesses. Matter of fact, a couple who have gone up to 15, 20 million and fallen back to one or two. And they call me like, I don't know what happened. And I'm like, well, how did you get to 20? And I start looking at what they have for systems. It's so central. If you're going to focus on what's essential and be a minimalist CEO, one of the principles is cut away everything. And I think Edward Deming said it perfectly when he said, if you can't describe your process, you don't know what you're doing. Yes. It's such a great way to put it. And I think that, you know, I, I learned a lot of this about the, the project management in the East Coast flips that I mentioned at the beginning. So I kind of already done two years of just learning how the flow of building a house goes and like, what does that translate to in a project management tool? So I'd already been kind of immersed in that for a while. So by the time we said, all right, let's, let's grow this ADU business, I already had an idea of what a flow would look like. So the second time around, when you're kind of doing this, it's everything's easy and you know what the end goal is. I think the other thing that um, I bring to the table is that I've worked at some of the best companies in the world to work for. So I know what good looks like and we know what we're targeting. So if you're not someone who's had the benefit of doing that, you know, in a previous corporate life, like I did, I think picking some sort of a company to emulate and understanding what good is going to look like, finding some sort of an either informal or formal mentorship um, where you even know what you're targeting. Because I think when you're just doing this in a vacuum, it's very easy to like miss the forest for the trees. Mm. Um, so I think that's that's been big for us. So did we know what we were going to do? And like, did we know that we were going to build all these systems? I mean, I would say like in a way we knew we needed to get there. We had no idea what the systems would be. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it, you know, you've asked the question, what would it look like if all the wishes came true? How would we deliver? What would have to be in place? What would the evidence be? And then you built that infrastructure and now you're working through having the processes in place so that you can say, I know when it goes in this place, most of what happens along the way is going to follow a process we've already learned works. Exactly. So you never have to have that. I know the, the stress and the fear and the doubt that business owners carry around every day is usually because they don't trust what they've already done so many times because they haven't really gotten it out of their head, gotten it written down, committed to it. And so you've not only are you doing that, but it sounds like you've done it really well so far. 
Well, thank you. And I think getting out of your head is exactly it. And so much of the you know small business mentality is is about that. You're you're keeping it all in your head. You're the one who knows, and it's hard to give up that control. I think we've all struggled with that as we've grown. You feel good about stuff that you're very familiar with, but if you can put a process in place that replicates all those same checks you would have been doing, you know, you can have confidence in that system now and give someone else that system to run and have a confidence that you know if I audit this, I check in on the exceptions. I don't need to be there for every single one of these. So figuring out what are those high quality checks you can do, right? That actually move the needle. And we've been asking that of our whole team. And so now we all take that same approach. So case, you know, example would be our project managers who handle the day-to-day of the job. The question they hear all the time now is, do you actually need to go on site for that? <laughs> so a lot of it was just like, oh, we're used to it. We're used to meeting the subs for this kind of a meeting on site. But then you're like, well, what are you really doing? What, like nine times out of 10, this role's fine. So maybe we just let this role with a subcontractor on site and we get in- involved and that one out of 10 that actually needs our our help there. So that has ramifications for your whole process though, right? You got to set the expectation with the client that you're not going to be on site every day and that's okay. That's part of like this broader, like streamlined product we're offering you. That's why we can deliver this amazing product at this price. So all those things, those decisions about how to run your business have ramifications for every other part of it. So keeping the whole team kind of on the same page, on the same talking points, like that's also part of it is making sure we're all selling the same experience and kind of updating that everywhere we're talking to the client about it. Yeah. And that's the vision tied to mission, share the philosophy, create a culture around making it better. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, this is definitely one of those podcast interviews that could go on for hours and everyone would be like, oh, they're going to be taking it. I know whoever's listening right now, probably thinking I got to write some of this down because I'm writing it down. I've got notes over here. Like, this is good. That's an interesting way to say that. I love that. So um, Whitney, this has been great. A couple other real quick questions because I don't want to miss them. I'm just curious. Um, and I think our listeners will be too. You've got a lot of challenges of running a business. And I know business takes can take a ton of focus and energy, especially in the early stages. How have you been able to navigate the staying healthy or have you not? Or being there, you have two kids, right? That's right. And being there for, I don't know, do you, are you married? Do you have a relationship where you have, you know, it's like you can't just be ships passing. How do you manage all of that with your personal and business? How have you made that work? Yes, this is the age-old question. I've been answering that about work-life balance, I think, the entirety <laughs> of my career. Um, in consulting, it's always at the forefront, too. I think, first, there's a mindset shift. Um, there, the concept of, quote, work-life balance, which I think is probably what we're kind of getting at here, um, a lot of times that sounds like a trade-off. And I think what's changed the game for me is thinking of it as all more integrated experience. I love what I'm doing. So there's no reason I need to hole off work in this little corner that I just do from nine to five and then I run away from. I'm working more hours than I did in a lot of my career and I love it, right? Because I'm excited about it. So I think giving up the idea that there has to be some prescribed balance was was key. Then, like I mentioned, the, the, the systems and all that that allow you to step away from your operation when you really are stepping away. So when I pick up my kids, you know, when I leave my house at five o'clock to go get them from, from school and then I'm hanging out with them until they go to bed, like I'm not checking my email. Um, maybe I would have before, before I had a lot of the systems in place. But now I'm like, you know, my team knows that I'm just going to be offline at this point. I'm not going to check and I'm just going to get back online later. So I think setting parameters that you can live with it or communicate to your team allows you to focus and be more present for the hours that you are there. So the times in my life when I didn't feel like I had balance were often when I was trying to do too much at the same time. So like my kids were there, but I was checking my phone or whatever, and it didn't feel like I was really involved in that with them. So I think I may actually have fewer hours with my kids now, but the time that I'm there is such a focused um, experience that I feel like I'm getting more out of it. I'm enjoying it. They're enjoying it. 
So I think just kind of throwing away the idea that there has to be some trade-off on hours um, was a big part. The other thing that I look for is, is synergy and work and work and life. So a lot of my friends are also in the real estate space. So when we get together, sure, I'm enjoying my, my friends, but we're also talking about our businesses. And that's awesome. feels like a life hack that you can be doing, you know, work and friends at the same time. Yeah. But, you know, you said, or maybe I, uh, you know, are there times that, that it's it's not worked? I think it's a constant reevaluation re um, with all the players in your life. And I'm divorced. So there's the, you know, there's there's the co-parenting aspect of that. You know, you're managing your, your relationships on top of it. So it's just being really open about all of the things going on and trying to integrate that when, when possible in ways that still feel like um, you're getting what you want out of it. Yeah, I think balance is definitely sort of a, a tough you know, I use an example of, you know, when I, when I'm asked the question of, of walking is controlled falling, anything that's worth doing <laughs> to move you forward requires, it's a deliberate sacrifice. And if you can get the other part, I call them the five forces, mind, body, spirit, relationship, and business. And my feeling is communicate with all those areas of your life each day, each week, turn them into rituals, have your big project, which for you is probably business, and then be able to say, okay, how do I move it all forward with these rituals and have a cadence where... I have some controlled falling and the rest of my life, my fitness, my presence, like you described being present for your kids is rooting for you. It's showing up to your game. So you can celebrate and be like, you know, it's like go mom or your body's there to give you the, the oomph, the chutzpah to show up for your business. And the commitment that you have might just be a ritual, but even at 15, 20 minutes a day, a body ritual or self-care space, you know, um, I love how Wayne Dyer said this, it's the space between the notes that makes the music. I think that's, it's really not about balance. It's about deliberate sacrifice and then yeah. really good communication and then listening and reevaluation. Totally. I think that's exactly it. And also the cutting out the things that don't really to your overall mission, right? It's been years since I've watched like TV <laughs> in any like prolonged capacity. I used to love it, right? Like that would be the thing we would do. But like when you realize you can cut stuff like that out and you're contributing to a broader goal, it just feels like such, a, it's just a drag. Mm. It's like, I, why would I do that? So I think being really intentional with your time too and, and looking for the opportunities to take some of that back, right? If it's just kind of a little time suck. Like for me, another one of those was just after I put my kids to bed, I would sit down on the couch and like scroll Instagram or whatever. Um, and I could easily lose an hour that way. So repositioning your day so that like after you have one of those like kind of stage gates in your day, you have something more intentional that you're going to. Because for me, once I start doing something intentional, it just builds on itself. So I think just kind of structuring it in ways that works with your flow, like you're saying, is, is huge too. Yeah, because you can, you get it that the big momentum kicks in and, you know, you're not present for the kids. You're present for the thing that you're working on. So I think that's, that's, we're definitely wired in that way. So it's funny. I actually have a date night tonight with my wife and we're going to go to a movie. We do have times where we'll watch like a Netflix show or something like that. But it's like a lot of our time, like lately, we'll, we, you know, people are like, why do I mow? They ask me, why do I mow? I'm not in a position where I have to mow my own lawn. Why do I do it? I get this really cool zero turn mower. I enjoy being there and we love traveling. I don't have to be there. I don't have to do it, but it's like, there's a presence. There's a, uh, the ability to say, if I'm deliberate about this, what would I enjoy doing? And I found that I've slowed down and become more productive. You know, I'm slowed down on the thing I'm going to choose, become more productive. So if I'm going to watch a movie, I'm very deliberate now. Like this yeah. is, and I'm, we're going to make it a date night. Or if I'm going to mow the lawn, it's now, if I'm not going to mow the lawn, if, if, if to me, that's a torture, I, I will say, I'm not going to do it. But 
I got, I told someone the other day in an interview, I got to see the sunset from my the backyard, 87 turns. <laughs> <laughs> it was beautiful. And I listened to one of, uh, you know, Alex Honnold's book, that, that solo, free solo guy. I'm just so inspired by his dedication to his craft. And I was listening to his book, Alone in the Wall. So I listened to that whole thing over mowing the lawn twice. And so it's, yeah, we get to choose, I think, where our challenges are. We get to choose where we want our space. And obviously you figured some of that out. So I would love just before we go, I'm going to ask the Tim Ferriss question and I'm going to, cause I appreciate Tim Ferriss. I don't know if you know what the, the Tim Ferriss podcast, but I love his question before we wrap up, what would you put on a billboard? If you could, it doesn't have to be business. Doesn't have, it could be whatever you want. You get a big billboard, millions of people are going to see it a year. What would you say on the billboard? <laughs> oh, I'm looking up because I have a whole wall of quotes that, that I like <laughs> for my own purposes. I'm going to go with never don't go. <laughs> never, don't um, go. never don't go. I used to say this a lot with like in, in college when I would like have a bunch of uh, competing things pulling for me. And, you know, whenever I ended up going, there was always something to take away from it. I think that rings true in, in business and in life. A lot of times just with the the demands, it's, it's easy to like want to bail on stuff. And I think, you know, putting yourself in the position where you're open to the conversations, you're open to the opportunities, just never don't go. You never know what might happen. Mm. I think that speaks to commitment too. The idea of being non-committal is a little bit like, oh, I'll make the plan, but I just, let me, we'll just, how many people do you talk to? They're like, well, let's just keep it loose and we'll just see where we are. Call me, text me in the afternoon. And then life goes by. Yes. Opportunities are missed. I love that. Never don't go. I think what's cool about that is I think if you did that, someone probably already has the .com, but if you put that on a billboard, people are going to want to know what that means. <laughs> exactly. So that's a great one. Never don't, I'm going to write that down. Never don't go. Well, Whitney, this has been great. I appreciate your time. There's so much more that I'd like to ask. And I think our listeners would love to ask. So I think what's great is we'll go ahead and put your contact information down in the show notes. I've enjoyed this interview immensely. Um, where can people get in touch with you if they're just like, oh my gosh, I want to ask Whitney some questions. Or I want to reach out or I want to connect. Is there a way to do that? Sure. Um, you can go to snapadu.com forward slash contact for our contact form. You can fill that one out or you can email me directly. It's Whitney at snapadu.com. Ooh, risky. Okay. They have your email. <laughs> you can always change that if you have to. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate it. This has been great. Whitney, the uh, co-founder of SnapADU, an entrepreneur with a great background, uh, a business that's taken off like crazy, about to hit $10 million. And we just got a sneak peek at the genius behind it. Thanks everyone for listening. Whitney, thanks again for being on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Nate. And uh, all our listeners, to all our listeners, again, this is Nate Lindquist with The Minimalist CEO. We went long on this one today, but I think every single second of it was worth it from Whitney Hill. And I have a lot of new ideas. As a matter of fact, I have further questions. So I'm going to invite Whitney back for another interview down the line. And also, would you accept if we asked you to come back and do another? Absolutely. Okay. Awesome. Please take a time for everyone listening. Go ahead and share this. Take the time to subscribe. If you have questions, you can always reach out to help at theminimalistceo.com. And my team will make sure I do my best to respond to all the questions that come in. And you can always reach us at as well. Just go right on Facebook, The Minimalist CEO. You can't miss it. I look forward very much to announcing more details about our overflow for success program. It's a really great way where all of our events are now giving back to charities across the country. So uh, if you want to learn about that, get more involved with that, just go ahead and reach out again, help at the minimalist CEO. And thanks everyone for being here today.